The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. If you want the answers, you're in the right place at the right time. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies to help you gain control over your life with MS using only the best insights, advice, and research from top industry experts. Not only that, you'll learn MS-specific exercises and tips to stay consistent, motivated, and inspired. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I have received a lot of feedback recently from my Missing Link podcast listeners that you guys want me to answer your questions live on a podcast episode. So anytime I have something new that I'm offering, like the opportunity to ask me your own questions, I first go to my Missing Link online wellness program members. So I went to my Missing Link Facebook page, which is where we host our accountability group, and I asked if anyone would be interested in being on a podcast episode to ask me their questions, and we got a bunch of people who are interested, and today I am going to be bringing Shantia to you. Shantia is a Missing Link member. She just started about one month ago and has been focusing on exercising for mobility. As she mentions in this episode, one of the biggest struggles she has that she's currently working towards improving is her gait. So her questions that she asks on today's episode are all about gait exercises as well as spasticity. Her questions are so relatable and I'm really excited for you guys to hear them. I think you will learn a lot from hearing the answers. Before we get to Shantia's questions, I just wanted to quickly let you know that if you are someone with MS or you know someone with MS who is looking to have guidance and support in your exercises so that you know for a fact that you are doing the right exercises for you and your symptoms to help improve your walking, improve your strength, improve your balance, then the missing link might be a super good fit for you. We have a ton of exercises based on physical therapy and neuroplasticity to help you reach those exact goals of walking better, climbing stairs easier, transferring with more independence, getting into and out of your car, getting up from the floor, reducing falls, improving energy, just the sky's the limit. And if you are interested in learning more about it, just to see if it would be a good fit for you, I have a behind the scenes video where I show you a sneak peek of the program. So you can find that link in the show notes and I hope you check it out. It's a really great community, not just for the exercises, but also for accountability. And we do live classes. So I get to actually talk to you guys. So I hope you check it out and I hope to see you in our Missing Link community soon. All right, so let's get started. Shantia, thank you so much for being here with us today. I would first love if you can start with sharing just a little bit about who you are and your journey with MS so far. 
Hello, um, Gretchen, and I'm happy to be here as well. So my name is Shantia again, and my journey with MS began about 20 years ago. Um, I was working as a registered nurse at the time um, in the recovery room and literally was trying to help a patient in the recovery room that was in distress. I dropped the pen on the floor, went down to pick it up. My whole left arm went numb and the rest is history. So we kind of thought that I had pulled, um, I like pinched a nerve or pulled something that caused the numbness. And lucky for me, because I did work in the recovery room, I worked with a neurologist or a neurosurgeon who just said, you know, come in my office, we'll talk about it, we'll get some scans. And when he returned, um, when I came back for my follow-up visit, they found a lesion between C3 and C5. Um, and he said, okay, it's one or two things. It's either cancer or MS. And I was young, very young then, early 20s at the time. Um, and then my journey began with MS about 20 years ago. Wow, thank you for sharing that. And what would you say are some of the symptoms? So of course, MS is ever-changing, especially in the last 20 years. But what would you say some of the current symptoms that you're struggling with are? My current symptoms really honestly is gait. Um, if I did not have gait issues, um, the average person would not know that I had MS. Honestly, on a lot of good days, I wouldn't know that I had MS. Um, the symptoms that remind me that I do is when I get up to walk, number one, gait, and then spasms. Um, over the years, I kind of have known when I was in a relapse um, because I did have other exacerbated symptoms. At one point in time, I was having a lot of bladder um, urgency and then hesitation. Um, at the same time, I would have like nightly vibrations where you just kind of laying in the bed and you just kind of like vibrate like you're riding in the truck, a big truck or something. I would have those types of things. Um, I would have generalized weakness, maybe in the arms and the legs. So I kind of knew when I was having a re relapse, but once I got over the actual relapse, those symptoms went away. The one that stays with me, and that's really just been over the last three years, my gait has just declined over time. But otherwise, between gait and spasms, I don't have any other symptoms that I can say that, you know, where MS reminds me on a daily basis that it's here. Gotcha. Well, it's unfortunate that your gait is still affected, but that is great that some of those other symptoms have gone away. Yes. So we're going to get to answering your questions, but before we do, I want to ask you a fun question from my interview pod deck to have our listeners feel like they get to know you a bit more. So are you ready for a random interview question? I'm ready. All right. So your question is, if you could bankrupt one person or company, who would it be? Oh my God. <laughs> At this point in time, at this day and time, I hate to say it, but I would say Amazon. <laughs> and the reason why is because the convenience of Amazon is putting so many of our local businesses out of business and they're struggling. Although I love those conveniences, especially someone having mobility issues, they work out for me, um, but it really is affecting the community. So that's why I would say Amazon. <laughs> Wow, that's such a great answer. I think I'd be stumped for a while on that one. <laughs> but that's so true. I, I personally love going to local bookstores and just local stores in general, but you're right, it does 
require effort. And especially for someone with MS, that requires getting dressed, getting outside, potentially driving or walking there. And that's a lot. So the convenience, the convenience is nice, but at the same time, it's not nice for the local shops. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. All right. So let's get into your first question. What have you got for me? So my first question is, um, this is one of the things I struggle with because I do have the spasms. What is your advice for someone who gets the Charlie horse feeling in the middle of a spasm? And most of the time we get Charlie horses in the calf, but for someone who has MS, if we're in a particular stretch, um, if you're in that position for a minute, you get that extreme tightness. And for me, let's just say I'm in pigeon pose. If I'm there and I'm getting a really good stretch in, I lock up like that Charlie horse feeling and I really literally have to fall over on the floor to come out of it. So what's your advice for like preventing that? That's a great question. So before I answer that, my I have a question for you. Can you ever tell when that's going to happen? Are there any warning signs or is it usually just out of nowhere? It's really honestly me knowing myself and knowing that this stretch could be deeper. And the minute that I do that, is over, but I know my body can do more. Like I feel like I can, I can push up more. I can stretch that leg more. I can do it, but I get that severe, um, I guess, Charlie horse feeling or spasm that is so tight that it's, it's extremely painful. And I'm, you know, I'm disappointed because I know I could do it if this didn't happen. Right. So, okay. Thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. I have two answers for you. So the first one is to Ideally, if you want to push through that, like, you know, you can stretch more, but you know, if you do, it's going to cause that cramping or that tightness. The first piece of advice is change the position. So that pigeon stretch, as an example, there's a lot of different ways that you can do a pigeon stretch. You can be sitting on the floor. You can be laying on your back with your leg crossed over the other. You could be sitting. So what I would first suggest is find a different position to do that same stretch. So you're still stretching that muscle because it might purely be the alignment of your muscles. Which position do you normally do that pigeon stretch in? I'm on the floor. Yeah. So like, yeah, just standard pigeon. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, my favorite way to get that same stretch is seated. So you're, I, I changed the name, but it's still pigeon. I call it the figure four stretch. So you're sitting, you bring one of your ankles up to the opposite knee and you let that knee fall out to this side. So you kind of look like you're making the number four and then you just sit up really tall and you hold that stretch. So that should get you a stretch in the same exact position but since all of your body weight isn't on your hip, because in the typical pigeon position, you have a lot of body weight on your hip. And so that might be a piece of it where it's just too much pressure in addition to the stretch. So by sitting, you're taking some of your body weight off of it and you have more control over that stretch. So that would be my first suggestion is change the position maybe try doing it seated or laying on your back, search some other positions. But the second thing is when you have that cramp, well, before I answer that, I'll ask you, when you have that cramp, what do you normally do? Or, or that Charlie horse, what do you do in that moment? It is so painful. I literally really just fall over. Like whatever position I'm in, I just, 
I collapse and fall so that I can stretch out again and just try to let it resolve. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I like that you get out of the stretch. That's definitely the first thing. The second thing that you can do though is, and this sounds strange, but putting weight through that limb. So this doesn't work for everyone, but it does work for some people where if you're having a muscle, any muscle, get a Charlie horse or that super tight cramp, if you put weight through it. So in this situation, it's your hip that's tightening and cramping. So if you were to either stand and put body weight through your legs, that can help it go away faster. Or in this position, since it's not your calf that we're talking about, since we're talking about the hip, even just simply kneeling on your, both of your knees, that is something that can help reduce the Charlie horse. They can help it go away quicker. So you're right. And just get out of it as fast as you can safely without tweaking anything. And then if possible, try to get up onto your knees just so you can put body weight through your legs. So those are two things that you can try. My next question is, and this is because I'm new to your program with the neuroplasticity. So (laughs) how do you know when you're making a small gain, a medium gain, and a huge gain. And I asked that question because how do you know if you've gotten to the point where this is gonna be where you are, you're gonna be a medium gain. You're not gonna get to a a huge gain. Like this is gonna be it. And so I think I'm, I'm more so asking because I'm the type of person that I need to see results. And I know that you know, neuroplasticity takes a long time. It's taken me three years to get where I am. So it's going to take me time to get out. And I see my small gains. And then in some positions, I see my big gains. Um, and I, I haven't even been doing it that long. But I'm just trying to see, do you, do you plateau out? Or do you just kind of keep going? Like, is it small, medium, huge, and you plateau it huge? Or how does it go? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm going to come back to you after I answer because I want to hear what your small gains are and your big okay. gains. It's a tough question to answer because while we do know that neuroplasticity occurs, meaning it is possible to get stronger, to walk better, improve your balance, improve your flexibility and all of that, there is no timeline. So we don't know how long it will take or what capacity you will improve with. So I generally am an optimist and also there's no research proving me otherwise. So my thought is keep going there. You might plateau, but who's to say you won't overcome that plateau and then continue to improve. There is no research to my knowledge saying neuroplasticity will up to, will work up to a certain point and then it stops working. Okay. So in my opinion, if you see some small gains, great. I, that doesn't tell me that you're stopping there. You, that can turn into a medium or a big gain. And if you don't see any gains in some areas, that could still turn into a small, medium, or big gain. So what I know of neuroplasticity, the sky's the limit. As long as you're doing the right types of exercises, and especially if you feel that you are noticing some improvements, that tells me that your brain is making those connections work. Whether it was a connection that has been working from the beginning, it was just weaker, or if it was a brand new connection that had to be developed from from scratch because the initial one wasn't working. So I do think that there's lots of possibilities and there there is always a time of plateau. However, switch things up. 
do your exercises differently. Try a new type of exercise. Maybe do it at a different time, a different intensity level so that it can help you get out of that plateau. What are some of the wins that you've been noticing? So the wins that I've noticed um, prior to starting the program, like I could not lift my toes on my left. So I definitely can lift those. I can spread those now. Um, another thing that, I mean, just, just from yesterday, I'll, I'll tell you this because this is kind of amazed me some, um, to do the wide, I guess, um, the wide walk with the gate where I'm trying to kick my butt when going back and then lift up high when stepping forward. Um, so just from yesterday today, and I was having a bad MS day yesterday, so I don't know if my body is just in a better place today, but I can definitely um, lift higher. And what I noticed for me in particular, when I get to the higher repetition, that's when I do better. Um, so for instance, if I, let's just say the ankle dorsiflexions, my first 15 may not be that great, but 16 through 30 or 16 through 40 tend to be better. So for me, what I've noticed is my, my lower repetitions when I first start out, they are really weak, but if, the more I keep going, um, they get better in technique, even with my toes and things like that. The first 10, 15, not that great. It's just like my brain is just trying to adjust and make it better or make the connection. But when I rest and start the next set, um, I have much better mechanics for whatever position that I'm trying to work in. Amazing. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head where it's your brain and your muscles and those neural pathways warming up. For some people, it's the opposite where their first 15 are best and then they start to fatigue and then it's worse after that. But for other people who are in your same position, the first couple aren't that great because their body, the neural pathways, the muscles need to warm up. And once they're warmed up, it's almost as if your brain says, oh, okay, that's what you want me to do. Sure. Let's go ahead and do more. And everything, you know, talks together and it's working great. So that's amazing that you've been able to see that improvement because as you know, with lifting your ankle up or even bending your knee more, those little movements often carry over into improved walking, improved stair climbing, improved ability to transfer, to get in and out of your car. So that carryover will transition into many different areas of your life. So it's amazing that you're seeing that improvement. Congrats. Thank you. Awesome. Do you have another question for me? Yeah, I do. Um, so uh, I guess this question is more because gait is my primary issue. So what is the number one, I guess, um, clue that um, the exercises that you are doing are not supportive of helping you with your gait? That, that's a great question. And it can be tricky because as I mentioned earlier, with neuroplasticity, we don't know how long it could take. It might, for, for some people, they might notice improvements just within a few weeks of doing an exercise. For someone else, it might be a few months. For someone else, it might be a year of doing the same exercise before they feel some level of improvement. So it's a tricky question because you don't want to give up too soon or you don't want to change courses too soon. So the general number of weeks that physical therapists are told for an orthopedic client, meaning not someone with MS, just someone who has 
um, any type of injury, maybe they're an athlete, is they need to do exercises consistently, which typically means between four and five days a week for six to eight weeks before they will even start to notice any type of improvement in their function and in their day-to-day life. So then you add MS on top of that, and it's probably quadrupled. But what I tell my clients is to stay consistent. If your body can tolerate it to exercise in your specific MS exercises for at least 16 weeks. So I double that. And I will say, you probably won't notice a big difference until at least the 16 week point. And then you might notice a tiny improvement and you'll start building on tiny improvements. As I mentioned earlier, some people truly notice a difference after just three days of doing an exercise, some a week or two weeks or, or less than those 16. But I always suggest give it at least 16 weeks. On the other end of things, I've worked with physical therapy clients where we do the same exercises for foot drop for six months, and then they just start to see improvements after six months. So it's hard to say there's no right or wrong. As long as you're doing an exercise for that specific muscle group, then I would continue practicing it because you never know when it's going to kick in. I have a thought in the back of my mind, almost on a daily basis where I think, okay, if you do this exercise for a year and a half and you still don't notice any improvements, but what if a year and a half of doing those exercises consistently is a lot of repetitions that your brain tried to find that pathway to work? What if at one year and seven months is when it actually was going to start working for you. Right, and you stopped right. a month early, like, and we don't know, there's no way to know. Um, so the way that I work around the unknown is just making sure you're doing a proper exercise for that specific muscle group. What I mean by that is if you're working on, as you said earlier, lifting your ankle up, so reduced foot drop. If you're doing a movement that requires a lot of muscles to kick in, your stronger muscles can overcompensate. So that's not going to be the best exercise to actually improve your foot drop. So the one thing you can do if you feel like, I don't know, I have been doing this for a year and it's still not improving, change it up to a different exercise, but it's still an exercise that focuses mainly on that one muscle group. Okay. The reason why I ask that question is because I do have a nursing background, so I kind of feel like I'm someone who is, you know, pretty educated in the body and, and things like that. But all of the therapy that I've been having up until this point, I didn't know that I wasn't, you know, doing some of the right things. Like I know that I was doing things that had more of a strengthening component to it, but didn't know that I wasn't, you know, really focusing on the gait aspect of it, more strength, but not the gait aspect of it. So that's why I asked, like, how do, how do you know, like that, that one thing where you, that you need to add in there, you, you think you're doing it right. Um, but this, this other thing lets you know that this is something you could add to specifically help with gait. Yeah. I think one of the best things that you can do is see a physical therapist, because I can't tell you how many times I will be talking to a client and they'll say, you know, my hip flexors are just so weak. Like I know that if my hip flexors were stronger, I would walk so much better. And, you know, I'll see them. This was when telehealth was really big. And so I was working with them via zoom. I'd see them try to lift their hip and I agree their hip is very weak, but then I'll watch them walk 
And I realize they're not even bending their knee. You, you can't lift your knee to March. You can't use your hip flexors. If your knee's not even bending first, the first thing as you and I have talked about in order to walk forward, the very first thing you need to do after shifting your weight forward is bend your knee. And so this client has been working on so many hip flexion based exercises because that's where she thought her weakness was. But once I watched her, I was like, well, yes, keep doing those, but we definitely need to add something to help you bend your knee more because if you can bend your knee more, then you can use your hip flexors better. So it's all about using the right muscle groups. And so using a physical therapist to watch you and see, okay, well, what other muscle groups aren't you firing right now? What other areas look weak for some people, even though we're talking about walking and that requires a lot of strength for some people, their single leg balance is so poor. They'll fall over immediately if they're on one leg, but what they don't realize is if you're not using an assistive device, or even if you are to take a step forward, there's a big point in there, 40% of that single step cycle is you standing on one leg. So for some people it's okay, let's build up your single leg balance so that you can use the strength that you do have on that weaker leg. So I hope that answers. Does that answer your question? It does. It just had me thinking that I need to get back to my single leg balance because that was in my program before. <laughs> and yeah. I, that just didn't click that that's something that I need to continue. Although I you know, felt like I've been making gains in other ways, but I need to continue that. Awesome. And one thing that we'll end this with too, is there's so many exercises that you can be doing, especially when it comes to walking, there's seven different movements just for walking. There's the bending the knee, the lifting of the hip, lifting of your ankle, weight shifting, single leg balance, being able to lift your leg and carry it through. So that's a lot of exercises. And I just want to point out for our listeners that research shows that exercising throughout the day is just as effective as exercising all at once. So if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, oh my gosh, okay, I now want to add those three exercises to my program, but my program already takes me an hour. So let's see, that's going to take me an hour and a half and I'll, I'll push dinner until later. And you're like rearranging your life. Really? You don't have to do that. You can implement these exercises throughout the day, just as well as doing them all at once. So look at what your lifestyle is like, what your day is like, and try to make these exercises as least overwhelming as possible, because then you'll stay consistent. If you don't stay consistent, you won't notice any of the improvements. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for those questions. I think they're great. And they are questions that are very relatable because so many people with MS are working on improving their walking. They get cramps and Charlie horses. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your questions publicly. Thank you. And I hope this helps anybody else. You definitely helped me. So I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am beyond grateful to have you as a listener. So as a thank you, I have something special just for you. I created a bundle of resources exclusive for the listeners of the Missing Link podcast who are looking for more guidance and tips to champion your life with MS. To get these resources, head over to msinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. 
If you loved this episode, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with a friend. Or if you're on social media, take a screenshot right now and post it to your page or your stories and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out to other MS warriors. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.